Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, where we talk about everything Pixar has ever made and what it means to us. I'm Dean Vincent, and as, always, uh, and as always, I'm joined by Mark Young, and as it is the new year, we are completely disregarding the premise of the podcast to talk about a new movie. Yay! I think, yay! I think we've earned it, though. New it's, movie, it new, has, new year. It has new movie, new year. That's what the premise is now, fuckers. All right. We're talking about no. Dan, Danny just gave me like the side eye. About, no, like, something just popped in the head. I meant to say to you right before we recorded, but I'll mm-hmm. try to remember to tell you after. Oh, okay, important. secrets. Yeah. Today we're talking about secrets. Miyazaki's new movie, The Boy and the Heron, because we this wanted is to, to be talk clear. About... Mm-hmm. Hayao Miyazaki's new movie, not Loro Miyazaki's new movie. Yeah, I feel really bad that everyone like shits on him. I was, I was trying <laughs> was to like. like <laughs> there's, there's a there's a big trend in 2023 people pointed out that like everyone's reading movies to be autofiction so like like the killer is about david fincher's search for perfection oppenheimer is about nolan's regret for making the dark knight clears the flower moon well that one's pretty obvious judging by the end of the film um mm-hmm. and then there's one of course with this movie where it's like it's about miyazaki telling goro to stop trying to make movies <laughs> and i just like i i guess you can read all this in there but is it the main point Eh. but yes yes Uh, we're talking about the boy and the heron which we we posit as being relative to this podcast in two reasons one it's a movie we both wanted to see mm -hmm. and we are the hosts of this podcast but two um pixar is often attributed to causing the death of hand-drawn animation and hayao miyazaki's like the last master out there churning out these great churning isn't the right word because it's been 10 years since his last movie but like Mm -hmm. putting out these great works of traditional animation um and when he is gone who knows when we will get great works of traditional animations like the boy and the heron and the wind rises out in like a major release you know yeah are they not out in a wide release right now well i'm saying like beyond miyazaki who gets wide release in the u.s that get hype beyond like say like um, so like this isn't a traditional animated movie, but Godzilla minus one just got a big release, and that was compared to like how like they put out like Demon Slayer or like I'm gonna mm-hmm. pr- pr- the Kaizen one, the Jujutsu Kaizen. Jiu-Jitsu I don't know what it's Kaizen? called. Is that yeah, what I'm it's called? Up, yeah. I'm not up to date on that one, but I know that a lot of people are like, yeah, this is the new thing. Uh, so like the right the big movies that get the anime that get big releases in the U.S. are all like franchise movies or they're the current auteurs like of course Miyazaki but then also like um, Hosoda and the guy who's escaping my name who did uh, your name in Shinkai. Of... Yes, Shinkai. Yes, yes, yes. Those, those I think those are the three auteurs who get major releases. Yeah. Um, and of course Miyazaki is way bigger than the other two because he's been around for decades. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, I'd say Miyazaki is more... Those two are playing more with, like, melding CGI and... Because um, they're younger, of course, they're going to meld CGI and traditional. Whereas Miyazaki's always like, you know, there's going to be some CGI elements, like a giant rotating nut. Um, but yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to mostly be um, beautiful traditional animation. Um, mm-hmm. And let me tell you, if, if nothing else... Uh, well, first, I think we both love this movie, but also, if nothing else, this movie is gorgeous. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you can watch this movie without the dub, both out subs too, and just Japanese dialogue, and really enjoy it. I think, like, mm. it is a gorgeous to look at movie. 
I wonder if you wanted to start this episode by talking a little bit about our connection to the Studio Ghibli movies, because we haven't really done a full episode just on that, you know? You know, I actually should have mentioned that, too. There's another thing we're going to very specifically cover in this episode, although we're going to talk about the movie all around, is that I went out of my way to catch the dub, which I don't do for Ghibli movies, or any movies, really, because I don't like dubs. Of course, a lot of hype around Robert Pattinson in the dub, and then also it's just like eventually if we run out of stuff to do on this podcast which we are coming up on in a way by the end of 2024 this year we're going to be at seoul which is pretty close to like you know being caught up right um so but um one thing that we have positive of possibly doing is some of the ghibli dubs because they are direct there's one that's directed by pete docker there's one that's directed by john lasseter there's a few that are directed by gary rydstrom so in a way, this is connect. I don't know who directed this dub. It's obviously not Pixar guy because this was G Kids, um, mm. but the Ghibli dubs are something that are connected to Pixar historically in a way. Um, yeah. But uh, as my experience with Studio Ghibli, um, well, I, my first experience was I believe Ponyo. I watched on DVD like after it came out during like Oscar catch up in a bit. Uh, I did not like it. I watched the dub. Um, then I watched Spirited Away, the dub, in high school class. And then I did not watch any Ghibli film at all until I think the beginning of 2022 when the music box showed Lupin the Third. Uh, and I was like, all right, I think it's time for me to try to get... And actually, it's not a Ghibli film. That's a Miyazaki film. Um, mm-hmm. That's pre-Ghibli. Um, but we watched that. It was uh, I watched that. I loved it. Uh, actually, I have a finished Miyazaki ranking if you are curious. If you want me to just go through it. Because uh, then yeah, I also watched... You can speed through that. I watched The Wind Rises last year also. Because uh, my forum was doing a best of the decade list where you voted on everything. Like, you voted on the winners of our awards for the past decade. And we tried to cover out what the best of the decade was. Through, like, the mm. nominees being the previous winners. And The Wind Rises won international film in 2013. So I watched Wind Rises for that. And then this year, I've gone to every Ghibli Fest film, basically, besides The Wind Rises, uh, to both to revisit and have opinions again. Mm-hmm. But Miyazaki, Letterboxd, Boy in the Heron, Danny. Now, are I, we sure I, it's... I'm, I think it's Ghibli. It's, it, it could be either. We, actually, my girlfriend looked it up, I remember. I, it was something where it's... What's the upper like, pronunciation? Well, it's Ghibli or Ghibli, but it should be Ghibli. It's like, but but, like but it's in Japan they call it Ghibli, but it should be what? Ghibli, isn't it? I don't know. I'm just telling you what my girlfriend I said. I think that's the opposite. Okay, I don't know which way it is, Mark. I just said that both of them are valid. Cause that's mm. what my point is. Like, because it was like we were talking about like which is the correct way, and it sounds like they're both fine, which is unusual. Well, according according to Wikipedia, and also. The little Japanese um, hiragana next to the the romanization of it, it's Ghibli. Okay, but Miyazaki has said, I named it after the Ghibli, or something like that. So it's like, either yes. way, I don't think is a problem. Sorry, I just had this massive discussion with my girlfriend a few days ago. So that's why I'm very much like, we don't need to, I guess we should rehash well, it all. Since, since you came out of it wrong, I'm just like... There was nothing that's... wrong. The conclusion we came up with is that they're both valid. Because if Miyazaki named it after something that is pronounced Ghibli, 
and initially called it Ghibli, and then Japan was like, no, it's Ghibli. Mm. Okay, <laughs> like, I think they are both valid then. This is incorrect, but anyway, you've got your oh. ranking. We're not, to, we're, we're, that's the end of the episode, we're done. We're not, we're not. <laughs> Just, okay, well anyway, what's your, what's your ranking? All right, all right. Should I include Heron or not? Because we're going to yeah, talk about Heron. Include on Heron. Yeah. Totoro, Heron, Kiki, Lupin, Spirited, Porco Rosso, The Wind Rises, Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle, Nausicaa, Ponyo, Castle in the Sky. Why They're are all good movies. A... Yeah. Porco Rosso up would all be 9 out of 10 or higher. Yeah, what's your what's your reasoning for Princess Mononoke being so low relatively? It's not low. It's a eight out of ten movie. These movies are just better. Mm-hmm. That's really it. It's like these movies are just the other ones are just better. <laughs> that's, that's all I can say is uh, Mononoke. I remember what did I say about it? Because I also I was remember being underwhelmed. I, oh, I remember what my issue with Mononoke is. I don't buy the romance. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a big fair. thing with that movie. Is like I think it's a big part of that movie. And if you don't buy into it, it's like well, this is dumb. Like I don't understand. Yeah, and and I'm sorry because you obviously said it or didn't say it. But did you put Heron in there? Yes. It's okay. Two. Two. It's really? tempted to be one to me, mm. but you can't put a movie at one when you just immediately see it. So it's at two. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That's interesting because I I respect you having Wind Rises so high, but it's not so high. Wind Rises is literally in the middle. Yeah. Seven out of twelve. <laughs> okay, I don't know. My my brain had like audio dyslexia, I guess, for a moment there, and I I have. People get okay. mad at me for this list for having Lupin the Third at four. That's the thing that people get mad. It's like, why is Lupin the Third so high? I'm like, because it's a great movie. It's very. I don't think that's wrong. I it's like it seems valid. Um, yeah, I I mean for me. I just really like Princess Mononoke because of the the design of the world, you know, which is it sounds like such a dumb reason to like a movie. But... Well, it's a weird <laughs> to me. It sounds dumb for a Miyazaki movie because in all of his movies, the world design is really good. Yeah, well, but there's something about the there's something about like the modern world that I find a little bit off putting. Because in I mean in some cases like the wind rises like oh I can appreciate that but it doesn't really like speak to me, and then there are things like Howl's Moving Castle where modernity and like luxury are kind of gross, um, but then in Princess Mononoke it's all about like feudal Japan, and that reminds me of samurai films that I enjoy, so. That's my reasoning. That's my dumb reasoning for why I really like Princess Mononoke. It's just it's just aesthetic, but I do think that the romance is kind of weak. But that's also like relationship-wise, that's a reason that I would put Boy and the Heron a little bit lower down. Um I think that the way some of the things develop is a little bit like unsatisfying, you know. But we we can get into that. Um my the Boy and the Heron yeah, well, my relationship with Miyazaki is. Oh, I'm sorry, so glad I forgot we didn't do. <laughs> no, we're fine. I'm the one who should be actively listening. Um, but my relationship with Miyazaki is originally, I would see um, promotions for Kiki's Delivery Service 
on you know vhs tapes of you know whatever animated movies and i don't know if it was disney or pixar or whatever i guess it must have been pixar movies um that i saw this ad on and it was always kiki's delivery service and i remember thinking it was like oh this is like a weird girl movie and like the animation was weird to me that was my i think my thought too yeah about being like a girl movie yeah and well and at that time even for me it was kind of it it wasn't like the uncanny valley but it was it seemed mature in a way that i wasn't used to after watching this probably on a toy story 2 vhs or something like that so originally i wasn't super into it and then i i think what happened with me was that growing up my um like my big first anime thing that i got into was actually death note and then going from there i was like well i need to broaden my horizons out from this you know and so that then brought me back around to watching the ghibli movies and other things like satoshi kon and uh like mamoru hosoda and stuff like that actually that that's i'm not talking about mamoru hosoda i'm talking about um Memoro Ish Oshi Oshi who did Ghost in the Shell. Um not a big fan of Ghost in the Shell. Bruh, Ghost in the Shell fucks. I th- I okay. think it gets better every time I Do watch you know it. Fucks? What? The boy and the heron. The boy and the heron. But and then also my connection to Miyazaki is that I own um I own Princess Mononoke, and this isn't a Miyazaki movie, but I own Whisper of the Heart, which is a Ghibli film directed by uh, Yoshifumi Kondo before he died and he was just another big animator uh, in Ghibli and I own um, I own Miyazaki's book about when he was like starting Ghibli so this like I, my connection to these these guys is much stronger than my connection to Pixar movies even though I got into them later and there was a time when I was like only Netflixing by mail Ghibli movies just to get caught up on all of them. And now I think the only one that I haven't seen is Castle in the Sky. And Which Earthsea. is one people really love besides me. People get mad at my Castle in the Sky ranking being low. I thought most people don't like Castle in the Sky. Oh no, people were really mad at me for not liking Castle in the Sky. Uh, well, maybe I need to get on that. It's on, it's, it might be on HBO, I don't know. It is. We were actually looking at yeah. it yesterday when we were looking for Malignant because Malignant moved from HBO to Netflix yesterday. Oh wow! Um, a whole which is why new we're taking breed. Studio, we were taking the Studio Ghibli page for *Malignant*. <laughs> a whole new breed of of Gabriel enjoyers is about to be born. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so now we're in the present, and my I'm actually not watching a ton of anime lately. I've really been out of it. Did you see? Except- um, trying to think of the last. Well, I mean, Suzume was early. Suzume was early this year. I actually wasn't a big fan of Suzume. Um, but then, I'm trying to think of, you know, the Bell. Bell was last year, wasn't it? Bell was very good. I'm saying the other auteurs I bring up, like Hosoda and uh, uh, Well, but I don't, I don't like Hosoda. Shinkai oh, I love actually... Hosoda. See, I'm the op. I think Shinkai is terrible. Uh, really, honestly. He just remakes the same movies over and over again to different, like, lesser and lesser, like, success. Whereas I think Hosoda's obsession with technology is so fascinating. That is... Well, I'm. I just personally dislike Hosoda because I don't know. I think my thing with like, uh, 
it's it's such a personal thing, you know. It's what like episode summer, have you seen? Summer Wars. Um, that was fifteen years ago now. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Is like I'm also kind of like out of the anime loop, but I I didn't care for Summer Wars. I think it's there was some there was something kind of off-putting to me about how they all like came together at the end and had a happy ending. I much prefer, and, and I'm still like I'm not up to date on his most recent films like Post Your Name, but I love Makoto Shinkai's movies because they're about like people alone dealing with loneliness and like I, looking I love, at clouds. I love Shinkai's movies as he's been building up to his greatest film, but I haven't watched any of ones post his greatest film that came out in the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like his corrupt to your name too. My complaints are post your name, so we can't even argue about it because you haven't seen the movies that I don't like. Okay, I will. Um, I'll get woke on that. Let me. Yeah, you should watch just, Bell. Bell is really will, good. Also, I, Hosoda. I remember I don't like the children who chase lost voices, but um, for Hosoda or Shinkai. That's a Shinkai movie, but that that was like another one that. Um, I mean, I don't like out. um, I don't like Hasoda's um, the boy and the beast. I don't like that one, which I know mm-hmm. is like one that people like. I don't like that one. Um, okay, and I need to see Wolf Children still because people tell me Wolf Children's incredible. Okay, I I'm gonna watch these Shinkai movies. They're well, they're only they're only two features that he came out with post your name. So. To be clear, I liked Weathering of You, but it is just like what he did before, you know? Have you not but seen I, I haven't actually seen this either, but I know it's like friend of the podcast, Caleb's one of his like all-time favorite movies. It's a soda film. It's the girl who leapt through time. I haven't seen it. No, but I've heard of that one. And, and I'm just, I don't know. It's r- Really, I just so disliked Summer Wars that I was like, you just uh, wrote him off is... off of one film. <laughs> You're like, this guy's this guy's got no no potential. <laughs> well, I just don't. I remember it being so kind of not. I don't know. I'm not really educated enough to call it generic, but it seemed kind of like I just didn't see a lot going on there that seemed appealing to me. And I also I remember something about like the. There's there's some element of like being in a digital world in Summer Wars, right? Yeah, I think that's I was, in Bell too. Yeah, and I think I was like frustrated by that because I don't think that people take that far enough. That's another one of those like sci-fi things where I'm like I'm annoyed by how the film is less able to convey the complexity of some scientific concept than a book. And I don't have that problem with Makoto Shinkai because it's like I built a plane now a plane fucking exists. Deal with it. There's like there's a spire over there, or it's like I don't know. They can time travel. Fuck it. Now we're gonna have a movie, and he's able to, like he like that. Your name, as an example for me, is a great way of like putting sci-fi in a movie because you just have to put a little magic dust on it, but then you get a lot of spectacle out of sci-fi concepts and i think that films are really good at that so <clears throat> but anyway anyway we are 20 minutes into the episode and i told mark are before we recorded i wanted to, to get into a tight episode and we're 20 minutes in we need to talk about the boy and the heron we need to talk about the boy and the heron all right so <laughs> i saw this movie twice we both saw this movie twice the first time i went I to the chicago it. premiere 
Ooh. in October. Well, I'm sure your crowd was very polite. Yeah, but yeah. I'll be real. Um, that thing I was saying earlier, I have a firsthand experience with it, but not for me. But I went on a date with it with my current girlfriend to the Boy and the Heron back in October, right at the Chicago International Film Festival. And mm. since then, she's like, she said to me, Danny, it was a really great movie to look at, but I haven't really been honest about it because the person in front of me was so tall, I couldn't read the subtitles of this movie. And so I was very <laughs> lost, but I still very, I enjoyed how beautiful it was. And those wara wara, those were cute. That was basically her take on it. Which, again, that's what I mean. Like, it's valid. You can still enjoy this movie and not understand mm. what's going on in it at all. Because I posit that even with subtitles and dubs, there's still a lot of stuff I miss. But that's okay. Because that's what Miyazaki, I feel like, is always kind of like. He's kind of operating yep. in his own logic dream space. That it's okay that you're not going to necessarily understand everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and, and so when did you see it the second time? Yesterday. <laughs> I went to see the dub yesterday. But where'd you go? The River East. Uh, I tried out their new... Um, they have new heated recliners. I do not like them because I'm someone who is always hot inherently. So I was like, let me put it on the medium. I was like, this is burning my back. I don't like that at all. So I just turned it off. I saw Godzilla in a, in a theater with recliners. It's been so long. Um, oh, well, I have recliners all the time, but it's just not heated recliners. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, aren't you fancy? Yeah, I, I um. So the first time I saw it, was the dub at a local cinema and i think i i didn't didn't see it on christmas did i i think i it might have been i think i might have seen it on christmas eve um but like during the day uh because i accidentally wasn't booked for work even though i thought i was going to be i maxed out my hours so i had the big holiday off with no plans except to watch this movie for the podcast so I saw it, the dub in the in like the mid afternoon, with um, a, like a theater full of children, and it was really funny because like I, there was one kid in my screening yesterday, and that there was a very oh. funny reaction at one point. Well, I'm I'm just I'm just very curious about how people are receiving this because at the kids showing that I went to, um, there was it was pretty like halfway full. It's a small theater. But there was one dad who walked out with his two little kids like halfway through. And then there was like a big group of kids who couldn't really like leave. But there was like one kid in the group who I could hear every now and again whisper loudly like, this is so stupid. And I was like, this is a special movie experience for me. I, but, I just remember yeah. yesterday at the dub, um, there was like a dad, like a mom and dad, a kid, like a little, like an eight year old kid, maybe. And I just remember seeing very clearly the dad, like lurching up and covering his kid's eyes when, uh, um, Mahito just, uh, bashes his head in. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I just remember like, don't look at that. Don't, like, don't look at that. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> That's always the one that gets the biggest reaction both times I've seen it. The whole like even in the first yeah I remember, the first I remember time seeing it at the, the music box and it, it was like oh, I don't ooh like when that happened yeah. you know like the kids didn't react a whole lot compared to the second screening I saw but everyone that was the one time everyone was like whoa what like whoa what is this um and then the second time I saw it was at a theater in the Chinatown in Queens and it was 
in a it was like more people my age who I think were more hip to it and that was a really good screening and I'm I think this film is not my favorite Miyazaki movie even though I loved it very much like I'm kind of in the like all of these movies are great but I loved seeing it with that group of 20 somethings because of course like that got the audible reaction but they also like laughed at a, at everything like the jokes worked on them and I had kind of was like this I thought this movie was funny. I kind of forgot that it had jokes, you know? The heron is so, hilarious. I had forgotten, like, from three months ago how funny the heron is. Yeah. Um, and they really so. reacted, too, to when he becomes a guy and you start seeing that. And that, that great moment, I could hear people being like, what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, it's, that was so special. Um, but, yeah. So All right. Let's 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 talk about. Got to break movie. it down. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be real. I don't think this is really a movie you break down by plot or by character. It just, kind of, I just want to start with something, which is very quick. Is that this is a rare film. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples of it. The one that comes to mind is a little pro- considered problematic now, and I think that one also is because I saw it. It was a very big struggle of getting to see the film, and that was when I saw Jojo Rabbit in Toronto, because uh, mm-hmm. that was like my number one pick, and it was incredibly hard to get those tickets, and we ended up getting them. Uh, but there's a very special, there's a couple other ones, but it's just when the credits rolled on this movie, I just burst into tears the first time I saw it. It's just one of those things where the achievement of what I just saw washes over me and I just start crying because I cannot believe the level of artistic achievement I just saw uh, mm-hmm. and how emotional in a way, like also it's just like the end of the movie is that's it. And then it's like, oh, that's it, and then you just get hit with a wave of emotion of that. Of yeah, wow. And then yesterday when I saw it, I cried at a different part of the movie, even though I didn't cry at the end. Um, mm. What part I don't did you? you... Um, well, well now, now we're in the crying section, so you just get to okay. Get to say well, what the you dub. So in the dub, one thing I did notice about the dub was even though I saw the um, you know, the subs, and the subs are more accurate. I do think the dub aims to be more like. What would the American saying of it? And I think sometimes this is to its detriment. Like, in particular, I was ready to cry again at the line that I've thought so much since the beginning of a since singing in October, which is the heron saying, forgetting is normal. And in the dub, it's like, well, everyone forgets. And it's like, well, that's not nearly as poetic as forgetting is normal. And that coming from the heron of all people, you know? Mm. Uh, and I really like, but where I cried, I remember was, I don't remember what the line is in the sub, but in the dub, it's like, he sees his mom, the young version of his mom, and they're about to leave. He's like, no, no, you're going to die in a fire. And she's like, I love fire. Who cares? And I just started crying at that. Like, just the sheer, like, mm-hmm. the way the son just kind of accepts that. Immediately, like, Mahito immediately is like, oh, okay. And it's just, I don't know why, that just sense of closure and still being such a childlike way just really hit me. And, like, no, the fact that she knows that she's got, like, She's going to die. She's like, my sister's going to be a great mother for you. And I don't like talking about it now. I'm like feeling emotional just saying it out because that is the thorough line of why Mahito goes anyway. Even though, yes, he's going to save Natsuko. He is really like trying to get closure on his mother. And his closure is just his mom saying, I can't wait for my sister to be in charge of you. It's just such a powerful thing to hear like an eight year old version of your mom say or like a 10 hour old she is. Yeah. I don't know why. It just really got to me just hearing it blunt and outright. Whereas the first time I saw it, it didn't get me at all. Because mm-hmm. I think I was just caught up in the chaos of like the world's falling apart at the end. 
Yeah. But I'm kind of I mean, like if I if I watch this like I watch most other Ghibli movies where I just watch them a billion times sub dub going back and forth, maybe I'd feel differently, but I'm just because we had this short time span, I'm a little happy that I saw the dub first because I didn't have that thing of like um like because it's it's not well knowing the line like clear that it's his sister um or it's it's that his his new mom is the sister of his previous mom so just little things like that i felt like i was a little more with it in times like the end where it is so chaotic that you're just you're trying to keep track of all these things and it's like well wait a second like how why is she in the dead people is she in the dream world but she's like not dead but like his mom's dead but she's oh well, there. i caught that pretty quickly though the first time it reminded me of, um, reminded me of the fourth pokemon movie where it's like the young <laughs> professor Oak comes in and it's like because it's like it's like there's doors to different times basically i caught on to yeah. that pretty quickly I, don't yeah. know, I didn't have a problem with that um, well yeah i just i mean I accepted it. It was just that, like, I I hadn't worked out the mechanics of it until my second viewing, you know? I think, and I think you put it very well. And, you know, it's been a while since I've seen the fourth Pokemon movie, so I'm not, like, don't have these tools in my brain ready to go. Um, I, I also just think another thing that pops in my mind about this movie that doesn't make me cry, but I think this movie immediately sucks you in with the opening sequence uh, yeah. in a way that's, like, it's really funny in a way, because, you know, initially, you know, I saw it at a film festival, so it's like, whatever. Like, in that sense, it's like, here's the movie. But, you know, going from the Mean Girls trailer and Nicole Kidman to the opening of this movie is just yeah. like, ooh. Immediately, like, okay, fuck those trailers. You're watching this Miyazaki movie right now. You're yeah. going to be completely like, because the animation in that sequence is probably the most, I think, insane it gets in this movie, really. Um, yeah. Although there are some like the Wara Wara and stuff like that, and like the vistas are just gorgeous throughout. That scene is just immediately intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like it's interesting how this movie, you know, is very unlike a lot of other Miyazaki movies, which have for a very long time have used CGI, but the animation style is different. Like the way it, it frames people is different. Well, you know about um, the production, right, in a way? Hmm? What do you mean? What? Um, Someone else did the storyboards for this who's a very well-known uh, anime person in their own right. Let me look it up really quick. Takeshi Honda was the animation yes, 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 supervisor. That's, that's what I'm thinking um, of, yeah. But the rest of the, the movie doesn't look like that. The rest of the movie is kind of like the, the normal amount of... Like, it all looks like, you know, the Miyazaki character design and kind of how he frames things that opening is just so jarring because of like the way the fire sequence is staged where he's running through it and the people like don't look like people like it's so it's so dreamlike it's not like it's crazy placed in a miyazaki world this is something entirely different and upsetting um i cry every time the uh the title came on screen both mm. times and this excellent joe hisaishi score like that gets me every oh time. my gosh the score to this movie mm-hmm. let me tell you about the score to this movie it's beautiful yeah <laughs> it's an incredible score i really mm-hmm. 
I mean, I understand that it was the year of Oppenheimer and everything, but I think on rewatch, I'm like, nah, this is my score of the year, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know why people, I mean, obviously people do, um, but Joe Hisaishi to me is like, you know, John Williams in the way that he has all these memorable, like, he just pumps out memorable themes and you can follow the motifs in the soundtrack and i was actually the boy and the heron soundtrack has been my learning lines on the train background noise lately just because it's so it's like pleasant and there's some stuff in there that's really harrowing to me though i don't i can't remember specific moments but i remember there was one moment yesterday i was like dang the score is going hard right now make me feel very unsettled (laughs) Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Was it like? I think it was. There... I, if I had to guess, I'll tell my head because I'm remembering like what the colors on screen were. I think it was when the heron first like entices him to go into the like. It's like maybe that. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Oh. It's like that type of the thing. frogs crawl on him. Yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't I haven't re-listened to that part so much because it is upsetting. Um, um, let me find something really. I want to start. I want to call out someone in the cast who obviously we're going to talk about. But yeah. before we well, talk, oh, we, but oh, sorry. But go on. I I was just to go on about like crying. I found myself crying at things that reminded me of the stuff that I liked in previous Ghibli movies. Um, more so than plot things like her saying that oh you'll be a great mother partly because that seems a little bit like you're gonna cry at this you assholes like this is designed in this way but there were things that were um sorry i'm rehearsing around a ton of cats so i'm always like about to die when speaking um but there then there there are things that surprised me like like it the whole movie just felt like going home not just home to like not the big city but going back to these ghibli movies that we haven't seen in 10 years and it's like oh even beyond that longer to me this feels Mm -hmm. the the one this is like closest like the last recent one that's like this to me is house yeah ponyo exists in a much more childlike area than any other one in my opinion and then when rises this like serious biopic which is great but it's not like Miyazaki going crazy fantasy yeah well but even even then just like Green Hills and Joe Hisaishi's piano music is enough to get me like oh it's true the Wind Rises score is also very good Mm -hmm. I need to Um, rewatch the Wind Rises I saw it once sort of like a due diligence thing I don't even know what that was about but I need to give it a rewatch because I remember being really impressed by the ending but I don't remember a whole lot about it this actually is something that I wanted to say that isn't what I was going to say initially when I was going to change the subject. So I was like, we have to talk about this. Um, there was one moment where the dub really made things a lot more clear to me. And I don't know why the sub from months ago, I was did not get this. Mm-hmm. But it's like the end of the movie when he's like, just pick a block, any block. Just just, just like Mark Hamill's like that, you know? And mm-hmm. then he's like, but my these are not stained with malice. And then he's like, but I'm stained with malice. And that, that got me really emotional too. Um, yeah. In a way, because I don't know what the version of is in the dub, but in the sub, but I don't remember him going like, "I am stained with malice myself," which is basically what he says in the dub, uh, mm. which is something that's crazy to hear a kid say. <laughs> like, I, yeah, 
I think he uh, says something similar in the sub. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't catch it, or at least I don't know why it didn't stick with me, because I remember him saying that in this version, and I was like, dang, like, this mm-hmm. is, like, such a great thing to... I don't know, I just think the whole thing is really, like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. the whole movie at the end, like, kind of becomes this thing where it does, like, up until, like, the last 30 minutes, it's like, well, this is, like, a nice little Ghibli movie with, like, sad moments and stuff, and in the ending, it's like, actually, it's just grand treatises on humanity. <laughs> it's yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does kind of, like, it kind of sneaks up on you because it's, like, people were talking about, people are talking about how the whole movie is about, like, questions of morality, and I don't actually think that's true. I think that, like, a lot of his previous movies, there are characters who, like, are compassionate and there are characters who are less compassionate and then, like, you know, learn compassion through receiving it. But it's not like, I don't know, his, his, I don't think his characters, his protagonists usually undergo some great personal transformation, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I think in this one, it's yeah. more like acceptance of who you are, you know? Like, I don't think Mahito really actually changes that much. He just kind of accepts things. Which is, like, an interesting arc. I guess arc so. I don't think yeah. he becomes an inherently better person by the end. He just accepts that his mom is gone. He's going to have a new mother. And he accepts that, you know, the world is flawed and terrible. And he yeah. cannot change it. Which is something that I feel like is also just always, like... Wow, like that's a great lesson to put in a movie. Is like things are do like you're not going to improve if you're given the that's basically what the message is. In a way. If there's a message to a Miyazaki movie or to this, it's like if you're given the opportunity to make your own world, it's still going to be terrible. <laughs> like that's kind of <laughs> like yeah. So you might as yeah. well just accept what you have and try to make a better place because you're not going to be able to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is but like. You- I think Mark you... Hamill is excellent in the film. Um, mm. And the original guy, too. But I remember Mark Hamill and stuff. I was like, Mark Hamill, it, I think, like, since the Star Wars coming out, it's been recently hard not to hear Mark Hamill in roles. But in this, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is just great work, as always, by him. But yeah. he is not the reason we went to go to the dub. The reason we went to the dub was I wanted to give credit first, though, to Masaki Suda. Because I do think a lot of what Robin Pattinson does in the dub is obviously based off of what Masaki Sudo's performances. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I do think Pattison brings so much to the dub that without him in it, I would really be like, there's no reason to watch this dub. Not yeah. because it's cool to hear Pattinson's voice, but because it is just a good voice performance. Yeah, and I don't think that just because he is doing what the other guy did, I don't think that makes it less impressive because you can't like slack well, off. They and will reach both that be place. on my ballot because I have a awards of myself for myself of like best voice performance voice performance in the year. I think they both make my shortlist. Like both mm-hmm. Masaki Suda and Robert Pattinson. I don't know if that's the thing I'm deciding. Like, do I joint nominate them? Do I separate the nominations? <laughs> Because mm-hmm. I think they are both doing very impressive work, Masaki Suda, and coming up with that bass voice and doing a great job in the original version. But then also Pattinson. I think the kid is also very good in the dub, though. Uh, Luca Padovan. I think they're both very. I think Luca Padovan does a very good dub performance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the boy and the heron. Like, and I think the two of them are what hold the dub together, the Royce performances. Um, I think the the rest are kind of like. 
Florence Pugh is a little she's fine. She's she's fun. Um mm-hmm. I don't get the I people who are like, fun. I don't recognize her as an old lady. I'm like, what do you mean? All the other old ladies sound like old ladies, and there's one old lady who goes, Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, you can mm-hmm. tell that this is a voice I'm putting because <laughs> I'm old. <Yeah. laughs> like <laughs> something really interesting and in, about uh, watching the sub and the dub is the way that the parakeet king is characterized because <laughs> I think it was funny watching this sub knowing that dave batista was going to play a role I'm like making the whole movie who's he gonna play who's he gonna play the parakeet king walks in oh okay he's that guy <laughs> he literally looks like dave batista <laughs> like... well but then i don't think dave batista does it in the same way as um let me just let me just throw out the name of the guy who uh, it's Jun Kunimura. I have the, the I have both. Jun Kunimura. So, but yeah. they but they do it differently because Dave Batista like actually takes the Parakeet King very seriously, and Jun Kunimura makes him like so blustery, and obviously this leader who is like full of himself. And, and unfit to rule, but I think that Dave Batista actually tries to, like, make the Parakeet King, like, respectable in a way. And and I thought this was an interesting thing where it was, like, it got, it got me thinking about, you know, those qualities that we've talked about valuing in Dave Batista, like the quietness and the gravity. But the, the Parakeet King in the sub is, like, insane. <laughs> and it just it just got me thinking about like I'm glad that we had Dave Batista here, but it got me thinking about alternate castings of like who would who would be able to like have I mean, that. I like I do like the moment with Batista when he's like I'll just build the tower myself and yeah it's you, fuck, he fucks yeah. up <laughs> and his I don't know he just kind of makes like a grunt afterwards he's like Ooh. <laughs> like just and like you get yeah. a very brief hint of the humor of it really and to me in a way that that works because it's like. There's been all this buildup of him being serious, and at the very end, it's like, "Ooh, no!" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I I kind of imagined someone like a Kenneth Branagh doing that mm-hmm. role. I can see I that because comparing him to like the June Kunimura performance, I think he he more naturally goes to that hysterical place I in have a, a way question. that Dave Batista wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Since you've seen the sub more recently. There was a joke in this that I do not remember at all from the sub. So I'm curious if it's an added joke for the dub or if it, I just forgot. And that's when Christian Bale goes, Mojito just turned into a parakeet. He just turned into a parakeet. I remember yeah, that yeah. all from the sub. No, no, no. He does. He does. He does it on do the sub? It. Well, it's interesting because the sub has the same words, but it doesn't write it like a joke. In the dub, it's written as a joke where he says, Maito has turned into a budgie, but the sub is written as it's over or something, and Maito is a budgie now. But you can tell that Stephanie Che, or, I mean, she, she, wrote, the, she wrote the dub. Um, but, like, it's, it is, it's written as a joke. It's written like an American language joke um, in the dub. I don't remember who directed the dub, but it's this it's this guy who's like a big time voice actor. Um, but I did clock that because I was like that that got a big laugh out of the 
um, that got a laugh out of the children crowd, and of course it got a laugh out of the the twenties crowd. That was, I I saw it with such a good crowd the other day that I went. It was really nice, um, but I don't remember who who directed. No, I found who, it. I found it. It's on the. Uh, it's actually on the wiki page by where you said Stephanie Che. It's Michael Sinternik Klaus. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he has a he has a big name. But um, yes, yeah. But what is he anyway. directed beyond this? I don't know. It doesn't say. Well, he's a he's a big voice actor guy. Um, yes. and I forget his roles, but he really he I was very impressed by his credits. And Stephanie Shea is a is a voice actor too. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her name right. I don't know. Um, but anyway. But- but yeah, the, the 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 dub and the sub, they're both good. I don't actually like dubs though. That's my whole thing. Is like, I think mm-hmm. Luca Padovin. Sorry, I should have had it open still. Padovin, sorry, Luca Padovin, Robin Pattinson, and then um, Mark Hamill are the clear highlights. I don't think I don't think anyone's particularly bad besides maybe Florence Pugh being old. But I also think maybe if I didn't know Florence Pugh was playing that character, it would have helped. Mm-hmm. Um. But I don't know, like it's an okay. I, I just find watching dubs weird. Like getting Willem Dafoe, as cool as it is to get Willem Dafoe to do a monologue, it's like okay, great, cool. I don't know what the mm-hmm. point of that was really. Um, but whatever. Uh, well, I think you know what I think is that this seems like a really fast turnaround for a dub, and I don't know if that is true in like. Well, I mean, I I actually don't think it's true I mean, in the I, world I have of some, uh... dubbing anime, but like for a lot of the early movies, they were out forever and they'd even had like shitty dubs and then people came back in and redubbed them and they still have like the weird, you know, qualities that dubs have, but th- this one was so fast that any 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 quibbles I have with it are kind of affected by like, well, this movie's not been out for very long, you know? Sure, and I've, from what I've heard of the old Ghibli um, dubs, it can be worse, and, you know, people just start taking this more seriously, especially for a Miyazaki film. I do think Miyazaki films get way better treatment on the dub than, like, mm-hmm. say, either of the, like, the people we were talking about earlier today, um, Shinkai and Hosoda, I don't think their dubs get the amount of care Miyazaki does. Probably because they know, like, a Miyazaki, well, big deal in my opinion, um, Miyazaki, this was opened at number one at the box office when it came out. Granted, it was, like, a slow weekend, but it's, like, that's really cool, you know, that a movie, this, uh, the opening day of this outgrossed, like, the biggest U.S. Miyazaki film up to this point. And that's just because, you know, over the last ten years, anime and Miyazaki and Ghibli have just become more and more mainstream, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the dub really helps in getting, like, say, children to go see this movie, right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> if there's no dub, they're not going to sit there and read. Yeah. So. Yeah, it really, it really, yeah, that's uh, that's another thing is, like, man, I, that's crazy that this was, like, a Christmas, a Christmas movie option for children, you know? That's really fantastic. Sister Wonka, you know? Uh, I think this movie is, uh, I don't know, like, again, I keep I also don't back think to, like, I don't know if this movie's for children, though, I don't honestly. It it's PG-13 in the U.S. I think this is, yeah. like, a, this is, like, what we would define, like, on our show as, like, a movie like Soul, where it's, like, uh, I guess kids could see this, but I don't know what they're getting out of it. Although, and, and they have the same thing, where it's, like, in Soul, it's, like, they have the cat hijinks they can, like, and, yeah. and the boy and the heron, they got the heron, who is admittedly very funny, 
even though he is very dark at points. Yeah, I mean, I think that people, people, the, the, there is much talk of the Wara Wara. I don't think the Wara Wara gets as much screen time as like the soot creatures and Spirited Away, and then the Wara Wara are like killed. <laughs> so you don't even. It's it's kind of the movie definitely does not play this way, but you know talking about auto fiction or whatever can't isn't it funny that like we're introduced to a new minion creature and they're, they're, they're eaten and set on fire it's <laughs> um, horrible everyone loves the war of war but i think i think the comic stars are the parakeets um throughout i do think what's funny because you haven't seen this movie yet but for the dub and related to the Pixar podcast, they got uh, uh, Mamidu uh, Ache. There we go. Thank you, Wikipedia, for having the pronunciation available at the very top. Uh, they got Mamidu Ache. Yeah, I said it so again. Yep. <laughs> I'll practice it more before I elements up tonight, I promise. But he is just doing, I mean, it is his natural speaking voice. But in Elemental, there's a He's a water guy, so he cries all the time. And so when they walk into like the air, like the um the the grandfather, the granduncle's like lair, and he just goes, "It's so beautiful." I'm like, he's just literally doing his his, yeah. his voice acting. He just did for Pixar. <laughs> That's like half his lines and elementals. Like, you're so wonderful, baby. And Dan <laughs> what... Stevens is one of the parakeets. Which one? Dan Stevens. He's just, I think he's just that first pair of people who's like, we're gonna eat ya. I think that's the one he's. Because Tony Revolori is obviously the other one with uh, Mamoru Achi. I just butchered his oh, name. Oh, so maybe Dan Stevens is the one in the beginning. I think okay. Dan Stevens is the first one, because the first one's British. Mm-hmm. I also was very surprised that Christian Bell was Cockney in this. Well, he's, you know, what I think I appreciate that. You know, like, what else are you gonna do? You don't need to, like, you don't need, you don't really. You know why you know, what, what Christian is, Bale what has like that role, the... right? You know why, right? He just he does a lot of these. No, because very specifically, the actor who played Hal in Japan was hired to play that role, and so they're like, that was a oh. purposeful like in thing for Miyazaki. So can we get back the actor who played Hal, even though it's a small, much smaller role? Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course they're like, okay, Christian Bale, you want to do another uh, Miyazaki film during the strike? And he was like. Do I? Sure. That sounds great. Easy pay. Like, you gotta do a Miyazaki movie. Dan Stevens has been on the record like, I only did the small role so I gotta watch the movie early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, I can see the Miyazaki film a couple months <laughs> That sounds yeah. great to me. <laughs> like, um, so. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm saying that, like, you should just have him do the normal accents because, like, what what is the meaning of having them change their accents? But that's also another reason why <laughs> no, I'm Robert like, Pattinson Dave, does. Yeah, well, Robert Pattinson is off doing his own thing. I mean, that's that's kind of the reason. That's kind of another thing where I'm like, what what was the conception of this dub? Like putting it together, you know? It seems like uh, I like it. It seems like there are a few things missing. This also contributes to my idea of Dave Batista being kind of a weird choice for the parakeet king because he's the only american and well like so there are some americans and then there are like some british people but he is like the most like 
working guy American who could lead the parakeet kings who are who could lead the parakeets who are sometimes like upper class British. Um, so that's strange. And then there's Christian Bale. Um, but anyway, I mean, I, I liked it all together. I would like to talk more I about wanna... the film, but I, I come back to this. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, no, sorry. no. I was going to go off on someone else, but what were you saying? Well, I was going to say, I'd like to talk more about the film rather than the dub. But the thing about this movie, yeah. and this is my, my, my <laughs> thing that I said, um, leaving the theater in October is like, it's a very hard movie to write about and talk about. Cause to me, it is just something where it's the sum of it all that makes it so powerful to me. It's like this great, I, I said earlier, it's like this great treatise on humanity that you don't really realize is the great treatise on humanity until it's over. And then it just gives you those last few scenes of them escaping. And the last scene with the hair, it's like, forget about it. Cause you're going to forget. Cause that's how life is. And then it's the future. And it's like, the you know, it's like, that's the end. They had their kid and now they have to go back to Japan and Tokyo. And it's like, that's life. to Japan. Yeah, I know. I, I, I misspoke. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, because yeah. I'm looking at the whole plot line. And I was like, I don't really think there is, like, individual stuff in this movie to talk about, personally. Well, um, I think it is worth talking about the sum of no, it. Sure. I mean, like, the, like, talking about it overall, uh, this is kind of where I get into my quibble with the film, is that going in, if you don't know that it's kind of... It's almost vignette I mean, maybe episodic is a better term. I feel like very quickly it loses the it loses the stakes of finding his stepmom again, you know, because he spends time with Kiriko, he spends time with the heron, and then he spends time with the parakeets. And then he spends time with Himi, and but then you get me, to see the cool scene with the paper. It is cool to see the scene with the paper, um, but it's just there. There's something. There's just not a strong forward push for me, you know. And, yeah, I get it. And I and I feel like something like, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to talk so much about Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. Movies um, that are worse than this, yeah. Boo. But I think, I mean, like, maybe maybe Totoro is a good, not nah, not even Totoro is a good thing. It really, it, it just is, it just felt to me like, like the movie feels like a collection of things that are so, that are kind of unimportant until we get to the end. And then we realize, oh, the, it's because the master has like created this world and there's all this pain in it, and that's why, you, that's why the there are these dead people who can't hunt for fish, and that's why the pelicans are there. It's like the the choice to be made is whether or not you will save this world, but that choice doesn't exist for most of the movie, so it feels like we're just going around, getting little glimpses of the rules of this fairy world instead of trying to like continue searching for Maito's mother or or develop a relationship between him and like um you know Kiriko too. And was, there's also like there are parts that I just don't like it's it's so weird to talk about this thing narratively because the pleasure watching it of course doesn't come from the narrative. 
and like the the flow of the plot from one scene to another but it is strange to me that we have a scene where he you know steals his stepmom cigarettes to give to one of the servants in the house so he teaches him how to use the knife and then he has this scene with Kiriko where she teaches him how to gut the fish and I feel like these are both mentor pupil scenes but I don't really get like why we have two of them and i'm not sure what his relationship is i'll be real i don't remember i don't remember the knife one at all i mean the knife the knife one to me is just part of a montage the scene with the gutting the fish is part of it where it's like you must learn i don't know it's kind of i I actually hadn't read it the way i had a bow and arrow earlier you know what i mean like he's clearly this capable kid um i don't know maybe there's something there to be said about like oh well you think that you think that you can do all of these things, but you're you're actually like you're you're inexperienced when it comes to like being an adult. Maybe that's what the that's what the takeaway is from the Kiriko scenes. Is he opens the gate, letting the pelicans in to eat all the dead bodies, and oh, he doesn't know how to drive the boat. Oh, he doesn't know how to gut the fish. Uh, it's like he doesn't know all of these things, and Kiriko has well, to like teach him to be useful. I don't know, hold on, I don't know why you, you, something you said earlier really clicked with this movie in a way I hadn't before for me, which is the idea that it's like, the question is, do you save this world that is horrible, uh, and even though you have the promise to remake it, if the foundation is so rocky, why would you do it? Um, and the thing I keep thinking about with this movie also is, of course, um, controversial thing that happened in the US was retitling the film, because um, in Japan it's titled How Do You Live? is off the book that he picks up um mm-hmm. reads and cries during now i don't know much about how do you live but i know the title i've been told doesn't fully translate to how do you live is a poetic way to say it in the u.s but it really means in japan i don't those cultural specifically is how do you continue to live after loss type of thing um mm. how do you how do you live and i think that is a really evocative title for this movie that feel I feel like it's not as marketable as a title as like we're taking the kids to see how do you live no but that, that does kind of prepare you a little better to like and en- enter into enter into the plot of the movie like if that's the question that you're answering that makes more sense because it's like um, how do you live knowing that you must kill to help other people how do you live knowing that um you will die someday right how do you live knowing that there's not a better world necessarily to make? Yeah. Um, Actually, I think, I think, yeah, that really opens it up for me. And then, and then I think then it makes a lot of sense that moment that I was kind of critical earlier, like you, you want me to cry, you bastards, where his mom as a girl is like, uh, you'll be a great mother. Or actually it's Kiriko saying that to, no, no, no. I'm I'm confusing people, but it's uh, someone's like you'll be a great mother. Um, yeah, but she's like obviously not afraid of death anymore, and then that that gives that scene meaning for me now, where it's like, oh, that is about it is about like acceptance, and that there's something really beautiful also in that scene. Now that I just thought of the one that made me cry, where he tells his mom that knowing she's going to forget, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, it doesn't even matter if you say that. Because you, you've been told that your mom returned 
a year later with no memory of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the whole movie really does is like, and it's like the heron even says at the end, it's like, well, you'll forget. And that's how you live too. And that's like a very cynical look too of it all, which is why I really like the heron. Cause even with all its jokes, the heron ultimately ends up just being this really cynical, dark guy in a way, even though he is really funny too. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really special film. Um, yeah. It's something that, again, is really hard to talk about the specific because then it's just recounting the plot of the movie, but not really in a way that the plot matters because it really mm-hmm. doesn't. What matters is the feelings it evokes and how it paints this big mosaic of how terrible things are and how it's still important to live mm-hmm. and like find connections because it's like he's always going to know his mom, even though he's never going to like know his mom again, you know? Um, and yeah. the Suko is a connection that he might initially be like, I have to do this. But then it's also like, well, that's a connection of someone who does genuinely care about you, no matter what, because he's, she's, you know, your aunt too. <laughs> like, she, you're, the, you're the only remnant of her sister, um, really. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's just such an immensely powerful work that, um, what makes me excited about it too is like, you know, we're recording this podcast three mo- two months after I saw it the first time. One day after I saw it a second time. You saw it first time like a week ago. This is a movie I feel like we'll be unpacking for years. Um, yeah. And then that, in that regard, I definitely feel like it feels like, ah, oh, this is like the final masterpiece of Hayao Miyazaki, even though we all hope he has another one in him. Because it really does feel like this is the... In a way, you know, you say he does hit the greatest hits, but it's because it is the culmination of all of his work. It's, this is what he's been trying to say. This is what he's like, the last, like, I had to get this movie out. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's about all the existential terror that exists within my films. Yeah. Um, and all the fun, too. And, like, how do you reconcile this, these with each other to create yeah. um, a world that is so beautiful and fanciful and fun, but also just full of the deep dread of where do we go now? Because yeah. the only place we're actually going is terrible. And there seems to be no way out of this terrible, terrible hole. But you still yeah. got to get through it. <laughs> um, yeah. I just find it a, a remarkably... I, that's the whole thing to me. is like um, That was my big... Uh, I went on a rant on Twitter the other day, which was a little embarrassing, where it was like... You know me, I always try to pick fights with the animationist cinema people who never like respond to me. Um, where I kind of one of those things is like y'all, y'all are so di- trying to get Spider-Man across, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse the Best Picture nomination, or screaming about how Nimona needs to get in over like Elemental, or how Mario needs to be tra- taken seriously. When the real thing everyone should have rallied around this year was getting Miyazaki a director nomination, because one, if anyone was going to do it, Andy Amber is going to do it, it's going to be him, and it's a it's a barrier that's not been crossed. And two, I do think this is the best directed film of 2023 or at least the most personally directed film of 2023 because even if he was not the animation director of this film every frame of this film every bit of dialogue everything about it to me just is Miyazaki's vision and not even in an autofiction way in a this is what he's been trying to tell you his entire time he's been working Mm -hmm. and I think there's very much to be admired from that standpoint that he made this grand synthesis of everything because as much as like the wind rises it is not because the wind rises does not include the joy and the fanciful flights um of pure fantasy i mean there are flights in it obviously but yeah 
It's all about um, those planes. Yeah, but this is about birds, so. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think this is a really, really, really makes you think about like what animation can do too. Like there was one point in this I remember I, I saw it both times. I remember I had the same reaction the first time as I did the second time, and it's when he's climbing up the thing and the parakeet king is just like, just you know knocking things over. Over and over. I thought two things. One, an American animated movie, they would never just let him be under the rubble for like 10 minutes or five minutes, however long it is. They would immediately mm-hmm. show he's okay. Um, even yeah. though we can assume he's okay, because why would he just die unceremoniously like that? Um, but yeah. the other thing I thought was like, you could never do this in live action. Even if the Parakeet King was like a live action character of him just like dropping things over and over and like while Mahito's just trying to hold on to the falling rocks. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things that was like, you take it for granted in animation, but then you just think for a second, like, this could never happen in live action. It's really the joy of, like, the full Miyazaki knowing the full of what he can do in this medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and just do it so casually, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I do you have anything else to say about this movie? Uh, I mean, we could go on, but I kind of think that's a nice way to wrap it up. It, for yeah. me, it would just be kind of going, like, moment by moment, you know, which yeah. I don't want to do. Yeah. Um. So I think that was a really great way to sum it up, especially because I think I came into this a little bit like, eh, you know, obviously a masterpiece, <laughs> not one that I would like love to see again. But then I think through our discussion and then the way you summed it up at the end, now I really am like I could go back into this and really lock in the whole time because um, I my second time I took my bathroom break when he reunites with the heron. And there's that. I took my bathroom of... break uh, when he met Hemi after the parakeets. Mm. I I disagree with that. Well, I forgot. My... So it's three months ago. Remember? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's okay. I just my thing was like, oh, that that physical comedy when they're at the well doesn't really work for me. So now I'm going on my thing. But then I missed the one thing that's like a weirdly modern joke where he's re- repairing his beak that mm-hmm. always gets a laugh, and I'm like, what a strange like un Miyazaki like cut you know to like go back to this the same image like reuse that image <laughs> yeah. I've just never I haven't seen that before it was it, like it's such a like you're, you're gonna such laugh a, like but family it's like, guy for cutaway joke yeah 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 it's it seems unusual but, but it's anyway funny. <laughs> it's very yeah funny, it so. definitely works um but uh Wait, all right what are, what are we gonna give yeah. the boy and the heron well I I don't know I like it might not mean anything because I was just. I, mean, I know I'm giving it stuff later this year. Like I'm giving it blanky awards on yeah. my letterbox. <laughs> I was like earlier today. I was listening to Joe Hisaishi's recordings with the. I think it's the Royal Philharmonic, whatever of the film. Mm-hmm. His music from the films of Studio Ghibli, but like I don't know. I just think Joe Hisaishi should get more awards. So I agree. I don't know. I want to. I want to give him something, but I think like. People know Hayao Miyazaki, but I feel like people don't talk about, like, how incredible Joe Hisaishi's music is, not just in Ghibli movies, but just, like, altogether, he has such well, he a great concert tours, voice. though, you know? Yeah. In Chicago in June. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, that's great, but it's, I don't know, just for whatever reason, in, like, the film circles, you hear about, like, the, the uh, Ludwig... You know him, whose name I forget. I feel like we talk a lot about like Michael Giacchino and that kind of thing. I just wish that Joey Saishi had that kind of thing where it was like, what's what's that guy up to? Like, what's he doing now? 
because yeah. I feel, you know, I just wish wish he had that kind of like contemporary clout. Um, for, and you know, maybe that's because I'm in the wrong circles, but I would give him some kind. I would I would give him like the Academy Award for best score because I think that would be a a big boost. Um, I mean, but he, maybe doesn't he doesn't need it? You know, he's out there in the world. I mean, if I'm allowed to just give it Oscar stuff, I give this a Best Picture nomination. Doesn't need to win, but a nomination. I give this a Director nomination, as I said. I give, obviously, the score in the animated film wins. I allow it to be submitted for foreign language film, too. But I'm not going to do that because I have an Oscar podcast, so I don't feel like I'm allowed to do that myself. Yeah, I'm doing it because I don't have one, but I I realize it was a little weird... Because I came in thinking that I was like, this is what I want to give it, but it'll be weird because Danny does this on his other podcast. Yeah, I will give it. Um... Well, my big thing also is this is really the big thing to me about the Oscars this year with this movie is I kind of accept that like Hollywood is stupid, but I really will be so, so mad in a way. And, and this is a movie I really like, but if Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse wins animated feature... <laughs> Like, I will be very upset about that, especially knowing this is its competition. And not only is this its competition, this is its competition, and it's, like, the most successful anime in the original anime in the U.S. So it's, like, what else can it do, like, financially do to be, like, in people's minds, too? You know, like, it's doing everything right. Yeah. Um, but that's not what I can give it. I, I feel like I got to give it something where it's, like, you know, I watched all the Ghibli films this year. And this is the one I think is really, really phenomenal. Um, I don't know. I really am at a loss of what to give it because this is just such a great movie. What could I give it to make it better? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I give it a... Maybe I give it a Halloween costume. Make the hair and Halloween costume be available next year and see how that goes. Have yeah. someone pick up a licensing for the hair and costume. <laughs> that could be fun. Terrible. Comes with Bradley Cooper's nose. Sorry, oh that, shit! That's a bad joke. <laughs> uh, terrible distribution <laughs> strategy for capitalizing on the ha- Halloween costume market. Unfortunately, yeah. great for children. It's like how last year I wanted to be. This year I realized, like when I went to a party and I saw Columbo, I was like, I wanted to be, but not Blanc's fit from Glass Onion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it came out last November, so I'd forgotten about it. Anyone can be fucking Columbo. Like, go, go thrift a trench coat and get a, get a cigar or whatever all right all right that is our new year special with the boy and the heron miyazaki's latest masterpiece it go is. see it if you haven't yet the dub mm. is fine if you cannot see the sub yeah. um and i mean like i said the dub is really interesting so like you know yeah it's a good time mm-hmm. but anyway what are we doing next time inside out I keep getting trailer for Inside Out 2 at the theater, so it'll be good to get this one out of the way. So I can keep seeing this trailer that shows footage from the original movie and not be bothered that I'm being spoiled on something I have to cover on my podcast. Didn't you get the um, the teaser that has Yeah, them... that's what I'm saying. I keep getting the teaser for Inside Out 2 like at every movie, because Disney only has two movies on their schedule with trailers right now. <laughs> but, but then they're also like holy shit we have three feature films that we need to put out there um, well that's that's the whole i think that's the whole reason they're doing it they're like oh shit we have nothing on the schedule put out mm-hmm. so luke and turning red <laughs> but 
Yeah. It, well, if any, and if anyone doesn't know, because they don't like go to the theaters because we have to for work, Disney is going to. We might have talked about this. Disney's going to theatrically release Lucas Soul and Turning Red. In yeah, the next we did. Year. In this year, I guess. Here we are. We're recording this on the second. Is it the first? It's the second. Okay. The turnarounds are stupid. Anyway, great. Inside Out is next. Looking yeah. for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. The show is edited by Mark Young. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf. You can follow us on social media at face- Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our website, Looking for the Ocean, Pixar.podbean.com. Uh, you can follow me on M Young Insta where I am going to be posting about my upcoming show, Mr. Marmalade, which is done by Pocket Ghost Productions. It's going to go up in Brooklyn. Tickets are mad cheap, and you should get them, and it's going to run for two weekends. So when this episode comes out, it's going to start the next weekend after that, and then it'll run for two weekends. And holy shit, I'm excited about this. Everyone should go get tickets if you're still listening to this and you haven't bought tickets yet. You're a fool. Go buy tickets. Well, Danny is a fool, but it's going to be a super fun production. I really love working with these people, and I've been super happy to be a part of this. So I want as many people to see it as possible. Um, Go buy tickets for that. Uh, I'll put links up on my Instagram, and that'll probably be the main place to see things for about the show. Uh, you can follow me, Danny Vincent, at Blinkments on Letterboxd for all my takes on all the movies. I don't think I'm doing anything particularly interesting right now. In fact, the page is a little dead. I'm busy, but it's okay. Um, my other podcast is Snub Club. I'm talking about the most Oscar nominations and wins. Same as it always is. <laughs> all right. Uh, how do you live? Boy in the Heron. Next time. Just kidding. Inside out next time. <laughs> yeah.